Unloose the goose. We'll take no use. Your paradigm's run out of time and we've got no use. Unloose the goose. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 12 of the Unloose the Goose podcast, the best agorist podcast out there with a super cool team of radicals that you can see here or you're about to hear on the podcast. We've got Jack Spierko, CJ Kilmer, Nicole Sauce, and Pete R. Quinones, emphasis on the R, just so you're not confused out there. And every week, every Wednesday, uh, we bring you a different topic that is important for your freedom and your human flourishing. And today is a really important topic. Uh, we're going to be talking about civil unrest. And the beauty of this podcast, unlike many others, is we focus on solutions, uh, real-world concrete actions that you and your family and your community can take in order to have more freedom and in case you've been living in a cave like Osama bin Laden used to, uh, you are well aware that there already is civil unrest. A lot of folks in this whole survival universe, preparedness universe, even liberty, we always talk about the potential for collapse and upcoming civil unrest. Well, it's not a potential anymore. There's pockets of civil unrest all throughout the country. And... Um, I believe that we're seeing a perfect storm for much more civil unrest with the COVID, the economy, the Black Lives Matter, the riots, and then the election coming up, in which case Trump is signaling that he may not leave office if he isn't elected. So I think we're kind of in for some very interesting times. It's definitely an interesting time to be alive. So uh, before we get into that, let's introduce our gaggle. How's everybody doing today? Good, man. Having right. a great day in California. Yeah. Everybody avoiding the civil unrest adequately? Yeah, it's not the civil unrest that's going to get me. It's the teaching classes all online that's going to kill me. Oh, there you go. One of the, I went the perks. To, I went to New York. That was fun. I, I was watching my niece's like, online class, and her teacher's doing a really good job. Good. I'm like, they just keep it that way. Good for her. What's she everybody drinking today? That, water. Sipping on Water. Well, or bourbon. That was Jameson, CJ? Yep. All right. I was going to drink all because we know Peter isn't, but, you know. Cool. (laughs) Well, let's let's get right down to it. Why don't we do a little round robin real quick, and everyone can share their perspectives on on the civil unrest that we're already seeing. And then if you could just give us a quick hot take on what you foresee. We're not Nostradamus here. We're not going to predict the future, but just some ideas on what could go down and what we at least ought to be looking out for. We'll start with old Jack Spierko of Survival Podcast. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I found interesting, and I I was looking forward to try to share it in the chat or whatever, and I, I can't find it, but someone shared a article either on me we or parlor this week of a person that moved here from some other country where they had basically a civil war i think it was sri lanka uh about a decade ago and they said you don't know that you're looking at you're in the middle of a civil war right now they said if you're waiting for this place where like everybody's shooting everybody everywhere and armies are marching in each other 
you're not going to get that in this type of a, a, a collapse. Like, but you're looking at a collapse right now. And this is what happens that people that are otherwise well to do go on with their lives. And until they're directly impacted, they really don't even understand it. And he was talking about how like he looked at his, at his window one day and he was pissed off and he called the police. Like you guys need to go come and pick this dude's body up because there's a dude laying in the street and he was pissed off that nobody picked him up. He, he had become so numb to, to what was going on around him that it didn't really occur to him that like there was another problem other than there was, you know, there was something laying in his street that was annoying him that this was actually a human being. And I think that that's kind of where we are in some parts of the country. And this type of a civil war, this type of a breakdown, this type of a collapse is not going to be something that's all in everywhere at one time. It's going to be something that moves around. And it's why I've been saying to get out of certain areas for so long. And so I think if you live in Portland or you live in Seattle or you live in parts of California or Illinois or New York, this is a civil war, whether you see it or not. Now, that doesn't mean it can't get worse. And I did actually feel that the author of this article downplayed it a little bit. I'm like, well, you know, maybe if you'd ever been to Somalia or uh, Mogadishu or something like that or the Balkans during that, then you, maybe maybe you're a little bit jaded on how bad it actually can get because it didn't get that bad there. But I think we can get to that level in some parts of the country. And I think in other parts of the country – you will not be without consequences, but they will be more in the, the neighborhood of, you know, government crackdown consequences, government, you know, using no good crisis, go to waste uh, mentality. But there'll be places where nobody sees anything happen at all as far as, you know, people shooting each other or smashing things or breaking windows. And there'll be areas where it's somewhat moderate. And there'll be areas where it is really, really bad and it will move and continue. And it's going to get worse from here. Yeah. America is such a giant country. A lot of these other countries that experience civil war, it's like they have one major city and most of the population lives there. But America is absolutely huge and there's a bunch of different cities. So people can have a totally different experience and be part of the same country. Um, Nicole, what do you, what do you think? What's your take? Your hot take? My hot take is that we are in a time where we have to find our communities, of course, because I'm a community person and be ready to take care of ourselves through some very unpredictable violent times. And I think like Jack, what we're going to see, we're already seeing the bubbling up of violence and then the reporting on it is very difficult to filter through to find out what's going on. I've been paying careful attention to what's going on in Portland, Oregon and the way it's portrayed in the news. And then what I'm hearing from people who are actually there are so different that I don't see it, it makes it very difficult for you and me to figure out what's really going on in Chicago, what's really going on in Portland. And I, if you would have asked me this six months ago, I thought it would just be some isolated incidents around the country. At this point, no matter who gets elected, we're going to see violent uprising. And what it looks like to me is that the end goal is either a fascist or communist takeover of our society, which sounds really hysterical when I hear myself say that, but um, it just, it doesn't look that different to me from when Hitler came into power and how that sort of gently ramped up. And we've been gently ramping up for a number of years. And now 
we're desensitized to the violence. And as we become desensitized to the violence, we're more willing to look the other way because it doesn't affect me, right? So it's okay. They're not in the holler throwing Molotov cocktails at my coffee roasting camper. (laughs) They're in some faraway place, those poor people over there. And as more people have that attitude and as more people feel empowered to act against others who don't agree with them, that cultural shift is what scares me more than anything else. Hmm. So you think we're going, we're just going to go full on fascist or communism in the next presidential term, for example? I don't know if we're going to go full on, but that's what the push is. That's the direction. We're I going. mean, I, yesterday it looked to me like nobody's actually trying to win the election. <laughs> that was terrible. We could talk about that. I think we definitely need to talk about that's the a different peaceful episode. transition. <laughs> well, it's part of it. I think the with well, the debacle we see going on with the upcoming election is going to lead to even more civil unrest. Uh, Art, what do you got, CJ, Professor CJ? What's your take? Okay, the the lens I look at it through is I'm seeing late imperial decline, possibly edging into the early to mid stages of outright collapse. And so, you know, when you look at whether it's the Western Roman Empire or any of the other, you know, great empires that had their heyday and then overextended themselves economically and logistically and militarily and then um, eventually kind of destroyed themselves from within. Like that's what I'm seeing. I'm, I'm seeing an empire that peaked, you know, maybe early 1960s, sort of slow decline since then with a few little upticks. But now, you know, when you combine all the economic data and everything else, that this is an empire that is really starting to fall apart in some ways. And I think you're going to see violence popping up back and forth um, for various supposed causes. But I think a lot of it ultimately comes down to uh, kind of like rats in a, in a maze or rats in, a, in an experiment gone bad that are just losing it. And they're venting uh, their frustration and their misery and their, you know, um, frustrated ambitions. And, you know, they were, they were sold on the American dream because they were asleep and they believed it. And, now it's not working out the way they were told it was going to. And so as a lot of people have already said, you know, the the supposed George Floyd riots, a lot of that is about the lockdowns and the economic destruction. And it's just people, you know, venting on something. And so I expect there to be more violence and chaos and instability. Again, giant country. It's not going to be everywhere all at once, cranked up to 10. But I see a situation with a lot of similarities to the declining collapse of the Western Roman Empire, honestly. Right on. So you think the country just overextended itself and focused on elsewhere besides domestic? I think that's, I think that's a big part of it. And, and, uh, you know, spend, look at how many trillions of dollars have been spent in, um, you know, Afghanistan and Iraq and dozens of other places. And think about like that all represents real resources in value that were mm-hmm. vacuumed out of the domestic economy and sent over to do nothing that benefits anybody except for the contractors and stuff. And um, that has real consequences in the real world. You know, there's the possibility of the dollar crashing, as all of you, I'm sure, are, are well aware. The national debt is like they're making up new numbers now because the national debt is so high. Um, imperialism is never sustainable as a as a strategy and as a policy. One thing all empires have in common is they all eventually 
uh, collapse in some fashion, you know, and some end yeah. in a messier way than others. But it's never a sustainable way to um, to, to organize a state in general. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I can't predict the exact details of how everything will play out, but definitely I think we've long since passed the point of no return as far as imperial uh, strategic, but also economic overextension and domestic too. It's not just all the foreign stuff. It's all like the unfunded liabilities domestically, yeah. you know, the, the crazy domestic spending um, that never seems to go down and all these sorts of things. These all have real world effects. You know, math eventually uh, is real yeah. you know, and economics is real. Chickens come home to roost. What about you, Pete R. Quinones? It's looking pretty tempting, that territory beyond the wall, huh? The way I would have loved to see this country break apart is like the Soviet Union, like a balkanization. There's a big problem with that, though. Um, (laughs) It can't be argued that when you look at where the riots are happening, if you overlaid a map of like how the electorate it does where everything's red and then you have these patches of blue that are really overpopulated that the patches of blue are where the, the riots are happening. Unfortunately, those patches of blue are surrounded by red. I mean, Southern Illinois is a red state. It's farmland. Um, upstate New York is red. So I don't know how this happens other than like a, a collapse, but I think the topic of this is supposed to be civil unrest. And what I've seen here in Atlanta, well, I live just a little north of Atlanta, is that really we didn't have a lot of violence until they had the the Richard Brooks shooting at the Wendy's here. Then it started and it pretty much petered out. I think when you look here, I mean, everybody pretty much assumes everyone else owns a gun. So going into neighborhoods such as my mine is going to be really is going to be bad for a lot of people. At this point, I don't even know what to tell people. Just ask me. They're like, "Well, I mean, I live right outside of Portland. You know, what do I do if I defend myself? I could get arrested, hmm. even if they're coming to burn my house down or burn my barn down, and it's it's tough, especially when you're in." in an area like that, I think if it's spread out into, you know, more quote unquote red areas, there really wouldn't be a problem with just putting wild animals down. But, you know, I mean, I, I honestly, the, the person that annoys me the most at this point is the person who says, Oh, this will all be, o- this will all be over after the election, after the election. I'm like, that's the most blue pilled thing I've ever heard. I mean, it, it, it's just it's ridiculous to think that they've been given too much power. The people are. Vin, Vin, Vin and I released an episode today and we talked about this. This is religious now. This is spiritual. This is magic. And these people have bought into the fact that they've been they're being attacked by this evil spirit that they can't see and that everyone, everyone could possibly be you know, possessed by it. And they're waiting for like this magic to come from people in power where they're like, here, take this and it'll make all it'll make the evil spirits go away. And, you know, Vin, what Vin said was he said, like, you know, just the mask thing. He said he doesn't think the mask thing is ever going away. He thinks that his children are going to grow up in mask world. 
And until I think there's some kind of spiritual shift by people because they, I think they've bought into this religiously. I think this is just, (laughs) this is our life now. Remember Rachel Maddow in 2016 after the election? This is our life now. This This is is the nightmare. I mean, we're, we are living in a nightmare and we aren't. I mean, a lot, a lot of us aren't who don't live in an air, in areas that are being affected by this. But you know, I was in New York last week and I was social. I mean, I was quarantining. I, I know that I had to go in there. I was only there for four days and I had to quarantine for 14 days. But I'm just telling you what people saw. People told me they saw up there. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, I mean, it, it's it's the weirdest city now. It's like mm-hmm. I, I said, it's peak nihilism. The cops up there, I, I was walking with a friend of mine and I, we just happened to be talking about rioters and I started is talking about how easy it is to build explosives. And I turned around and there was a cop standing right there. He wasn't even looking at us. He heard us. Hmm. He, we weren't wearing masks and everybody, everybody has to wear masks in public. He didn't care. The cops don't care up there anymore. They're not going to do anything in midtown Manhattan in tourist areas. There's no one there. It's a ghost town. And then you go down into residential neighborhoods and it's like one quarter to one third of the the kind of people you would normally see. Half the businesses are closed. Half the apartment buildings are empty. I mean, this is, uh, yeah, I'm sure everything's, everything's going back to normal after the election guys. Everything's just, yeah. Run with that. Run with that. Yeah. It could get worse. Could get worse. It is going to get, get worse. It's going to get worse. <laughs> I mean, we could check in here at you know November fifteenth or whatever seventeenth and see if it's all back to normal. But, but see that we're not going to know what the election is. Yeah. There you go. No, that's not going to be a fair test because that's not going to be after the election. After the election will probably be sometime in like June, <laughs> when, when whatever happened, people finally kind of accept. Okay, like this is like because I think that no matter who wins, no matter what court challenges happen. No matter who's sworn in in January, that there will be this belief that it's going to be made right by either side that will persist until about June or July of next year. On the mass thing, I don't know. I think it depends where. I think most of the country that has some semblance of sanity left, um, the magic, the voodoo, the, the spiritual talisman, whatever it's going to be, will be the uh, the vaccine, even if they don't take it. Like once the vaccine is here and people are getting their their uh, their Bill Gates shot, that that will be the point that whether whether the government says it's time to return to normal or not, like people have have so much faith in that because it is a faith article that that's when people will just start to do what the rest of us do, which is not give a shit. <laughs> and, and I think that the government can only keep this whole mask lockdown thing going for as long as people tolerate it and allow it. I think this is like they can't prevent a bunch of Antifa from burning down their own police stations to think that they can make 300 million people actually walk around in mass against their will, I I think is, is is foolhardy. So I think there will be some, they won't have to, it won't, they're going to be doing it on their own. If if they want to do that, it's become, it's become a religion. I, I think and they're going to and just like any other religion, they're going to become evangelical about it. And they're going to look at people who aren't wearing masks as you know, sinners and outsiders and people that need to be evangelized to. Well, and I've that's noticed. what I mean by the cultural shift is 
the 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 drive to comply mm. is so much stronger than what I remember it being like in, in the eighties when I was a teenager, right? And then it, they take it a step beyond that and enforce compliance on others, and that's where that's that's what is alarming. But but are we missing something? Like, are people assigning way too much to COVID just because it's the accelerant? Right. So what I mean by that is, do you really think that any of this shit wouldn't have eventually happened anyway? Like, if you throw a bunch of gasoline on a bunch of dry tinder and you throw a match on it, then that fire is is caused by that accelerant. And long after that accelerant burns out, the fire keeps raging. Like, I, I actually think at this point we're giving COVID too much power because I think it is a tool to be used while it's expedient. And this whole idea that we're going to be at mass forever or whatever, the goal is, to me, very clear, and that is mass control. It is a move toward full-on socialism. I think you're going to get a socialist-fascist hybrid um, with this. And I think that once once that's done, a mask is not necessary to do that. Like, all this is done is just, as I've said from the very beginning, all of these megatrends have been accelerated by this phenomenon. Like, New York City becoming a wasteland, that was going to happen. I've been saying that for years, and it just happened faster now. Yeah, just phased out. I've noticed with the masks, I posted a a picture, and it says, pandemic is over if you want it, like John Lennon, you know, war is over if you want it. And I'm just seeing more and more, I think polarization will be a big topic on this show if, you know, if the civil unrest is going to come in the form of civil war, uh, there's just so much polarization, and I'm literally seeing two worlds. One world is me and you guys and people I hang out with and people that I hug and sitting down for a business meeting and shaking a hand, going to a outdoor rave that has 300 people that was happening weekly with a big pocket of, like, 50 people dancing and sweating on one another and, like, yeah. maybe five people I saw in masks out of two to 300 and then there's still other people that are like calling me selfish. And I post, we did a freedom cell meeting, had 35 people inside a building. I was going to make a statement about let's, if somebody wants to social distance, let's make sure we honor them. But at the yeah. beginning of the meeting, everyone's hugging and shaking hands. I'm like, I don't have to say anything. This is great. This is back to life. And so I think there's a lot of people that there's zealots on both sides. Like we're yelling stuff, making memes and stuff. And there's people that are really genuinely afraid and calling you selfish. But there's a lot of people in the middle. Like my girlfriend does tours with folks and in, in the job. And when you see that one person doesn't have a mask and the other person's wearing it and they're like, oh, can I take this off? And they're like excited to not have the mask on. They're just kind of like weighing things. So I don't I don't I don't think the mask is going to be the big uh, catalyst or some big thing. It is terrible and it is control. But I think the covid phenomenon has created the economic damage not only hurting people's pocketbooks oh, yeah. and losing businesses, which is just devastating for people that invested their whole life in a business, but there's a lot of people out of work. And those people out of work, like when you have a job, you have a sense of purpose and you come home tired. But I think these riots have been really expanded because people don't have anything to do and people are fed up and people are feeling disillusioned. They can't go to church. They can't go to their family picnic where there's just an outlet. And I think that is setting the stage for a lot of problems. And all this other stuff is just on top, like the George Floyd thing. We had the Ferguson stuff before without COVID, and it flared up, and it was a big deal. 
but it kind of flared back down. Then we have George Floyd, another egregious killing. And this time it was like, it just popped off. It was the straw that broke the camel's back, but I think the camel's back would have been in better shape were it not for all this economic problems. And that's not going away anytime soon. That's going to get worse too. Even though there's like this recovery and like Trump's touting it and things are recovering faster. It was still BS, bogus, phony, like CJ mentioned the debt and stuff. It's, it's a phony recovery and it was a phony, uh, bullish economy during Trump before COVID. I think that's, and it's a total reset of small businesses. A great reset. Who's going out of business the most? Yep. There are large, large businesses hit hard, but you're seeing the small mom and pops just, I see emails. Now, a couple times a week for my community of this one's just got to shut their doors. Mm. And so I think the other thing economically that we're seeing is I've always seen it as the, the, the heart of our economy are those small businesses. Yep. And that reset can be very damaging. See, now I wonder, though, with that, Nicole, like, so who here owns the business of their own? I think all of us, right? Yeah. I mean, you monetize your podcast, you own a business. Nicole has a coffee business. John has a, a supplements business, et cetera. So if I went out of business, the second that I had the opportunity that it made sense, I would have another business. So I wonder how many of these people that go out of business are going out of business, but they're going to go back into some form of business. Some of them won't be able to go back. Like if you leased a space, you could lose that, but I don't think that's going to be a problem. I think if you want a space, you have any problem with that. So I wonder, is this hooks off the other side? And remember, I forecast a complete gloom and doom with this. So I'm always doubting myself, though, in my predictions. Like, is there any hope that you can see maybe a recovery that's regional, region by region? Because I think New York City is fucked. I mean, yeah. like, there's just LA no, like, Chicago Los City. Angeles is fucked. Like, there's way too many people left. Like those cities don't work without perpetual growth. And I think they're years to get back to par if they're lucky. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's something I didn't get to was the businesses I'm seeing go out of business. A lot of them are in New York or in big cities. Mm. And if those people out migrate, yes, I could see a resurgence happening. And then of course, service industries, restaurants. Struggling. If you're allowed to operate at half capacity for the next two years, you're not staying in business. It's not possible. Yeah. But we're back to 75% here. Florida's back to 100% everything. Florida Florida, has nothing. They're going to boom. There's going to be like all the conferences are going to be in Florida and stuff. It's I've never been so happy to be a Florida man. Yeah. So is that a, is that a counterbalance in a Republic? Like, because let's say Biden wins and says there is a national mandate. And I think most of the governors are going to be like, you know, go fuck. Yeah. Fuck off. Like Take you have no court. authority to do that. So does that end up taking states like Texas, like Florida, like South Dakota, like Oklahoma and giving giving them actually a tremendous advantage? I, I see that as a possibility. I see there being um an increased likelihood with Biden of some of the more right wing governors taking a more hard line. Yeah. If if he does try to issue like a federal directive to shut everything down, um, I could see some of the red state governors just being like, no. Yeah, that's that's going to be a really unique situation for the civil unrest or collapse or civil war. Just like America is unique in that it's a vast geographic area. It's also a federalist form of government, which is still we are seeing the remains of that. They wanted to take that away and really centralize things. And the 10th Amendment is 
anathema to the communist takeover and the centralization, but we're seeing a lot of resistance like South Dakota and Florida. And so we may see this balkanization where some states and some cities like really collapse the civil unrest, heavy duty there. And then there's some Republican states that are more law and order and that the economies continue to flourish because they don't lock down hardcore. And I hate to, I'm not a Trump fan, but he, that's the line that he was pushing in the debate. And then he continues to push like the states that are locked down are struggling big time. And there was just one valid one, right? Yeah, there was a couple, but most of it's BS. And then what's going to happen is these states, especially if Biden's in office in the federal government, they're going to come to the federal government for bailouts, the cities and the states. And that's just further going to inflate this BS bubble, which is inevitably going to pop. Maybe we'll get Texas. Yeah, Texas, uh, right on. Georgia would probably be better off with Biden winning because the governor here ran – as Trump. He ran a Trump campaign where he was doing just the most outrageous stuff and he got elected. And I think that if, and I think a lot of the, him looking and closing things down for a while and still not lifting um, like a hundred percent in restaurants and everything like that. I think that has a lot to do with the fact that Trump's there. I think if Biden was there and he started instituting, you know, said, oh, you have to be stricter on this. He's the kind of guy who would probably go, no, no. As a matter of fact, we're going to go totally in the opposite direction. So Biden might actually work out better for me. Yeah, it's interesting times. Let's let's get on to some solutions. So uh, I did a podcast last week, like Thursday or Friday, about civil unrest, and it was way more popular as far as the listeners and stuff. So I think this is a really hot topic for people. Everyone's looking for answers right now. And in the podcast, I hammered home how I believe there's a perfect storm for civil unrest that we're seeing with the COVID, the economy, the lockdowns, people just being anxious, like not going out dating, not going to church. Grandparents and parents are passing away without the children being able to hold their hand in their last moments, funerals, weddings, like get to a Zoom wedding to see your relative get married. And then on top of that, you got the George Floyd, the protests, and then the Antifa and the communist elements that are exploiting that and making it more violent. And then a lot of the unrest is like gangs that were already thieving and stuff. Now they're like seizing the opportunity to go loot and riot. And then I think what's really going to be the 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 light, the match that just explodes it all is what we see coming up with the election and Trump saying he's not going to relinquish power if he loses. He's already setting the stage for that. And it's not I've always been conscious of the left right paradigm ever since uh, I voted for John Kerry. And then the Democrats took control of the House and Senate in 2006. And Nancy Pelosi promised they were going to end the war and roll it back. But instead, they expanded it. Then I was like, oh, something's (laughs) thumbs up here. But that was just like a traditional left right with like it's Republicans and Democrats. Now we have hard left, hard right, extreme left, extreme right. We got the Antifa, the communists and the mislabeled anarchists. And then the Proud Boys and the white nationalists and the militia movement resurging, unlike it has in since the 90s under Clinton. And so I think once this election happens or doesn't happen, that's going to be really what pops things off. So what are you guys doing? I know Jack's like already prepared. And he's like, man, this, this ain't going to make a difference to me. I'm just going to mess with my fish in the permaculture bond and not even worry about it. But what are you guys doing in your own lives? And, and what are you guys, what would you guys encourage others to do? Maybe some big one or two things like defense was brought up earlier. Guns was brought up earlier. That's a big one. 
But again, like if you're not in a major city, then you may not even really be affected, but who knows how far it'll go. But who wants to, to take that one? Just some, some tips some preps that would be important in these, this day and age. I'll, I'll, I'll jump in on that one. Um, I would say, you know, a lot of people, we all keep hearing the stories that um, gun sales are hitting new records yet again, and a lot of them are first-time gun buyers. I would urge anyone who's listening who is a first-time or potential first-time gun buyer, don't just get a gun and ammo, get training, yeah. because you want to know how to use it well and and correctly, number one. I would urge everyone who's not already to learn at least some basics of hand-to-hand self-defense because your gun isn't always on you or available or it can, you know, run out of ammo or, or malfunction or who knows what you should know. You should have layers, right? Gun, just owning a gun is not a magical blankie that defeats all bad guys. You have to know how to use it and know other plan Bs, right? Um, like I would, I would strongly suggest knowing edge weapons a little bit, knowing hand-to-hand a little bit. Um, get out of the big cities if you're not already. You should have done that a long time ago. I know I've heard Jack say that a million times on his podcast. I strongly agree with that. But um, And the other thing that I would suggest, aside from pursuing the skills, not just getting this gun or this piece of equipment or whatever, uh, is physical fitness. Physical fitness. The better shape you're in, the more likely you are to be able to handle yourself in a life or death situation when that adrenaline kicks in and you're panicking and someone might be trying to kill you and you've got to either get away or deal with them, the better physical shape you're in, the more likely you are, assuming you have the right skills and whatever to handle it. And I'm super thankful. I spent much of my adult life uh, as someone who was like at or over 300 pounds. And a couple of years ago, I changed that. I dropped well over a hundred pounds. You know, now I can run six miles, seven if the weather's nice. Um, I can lift a bunch of heavy weights, you know, and I've been training martial arts and I've been doing shooting since, you know, long before then. Nice. Um, and so I'm looking around now going, you know what? Um, I can probably handle most kind of basic, uh, threats that are likely to happen. And then the only other thing I would add on top of that is, uh, kind of situational awareness and the gray man idea when you're out in public of keeping a low profile, you know, don't, don't put your, your political beliefs all over the back of your car so that you might potentially become a target of a stupid, angry mob of brick throwers, mm. right? Keep a low, low profile. Um, you know, I mean, if, if you can sort of look like you're a hard target without, you know, advertising your ideology or whatever, then that's fine. Um, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure as a guy who works out and whatever, most people looking to mug somebody or just be an opportunistic criminal would look and just be like, yeah, I'm going somewhere else. You know, but maybe if I had all kinds of ooh mega stuff all over the back of my car, I could become the target of uh, of an angry mob of crazies. And even yeah. though they're a bunch of idiots, if there's enough of them, I can't handle it. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, low profile, physical fitness. Know how to defend yourself, not just having a piece of equipment or a weapon or whatever. Know what to do with it. Yeah, that's great advice. Let me throw a few things in there. Number one, I don't think most people are actually mentally prepared for what it takes to take a life. 
I think most people will do it when they're pressed to the point where it's very evident that if I don't do this, this person's going to kill me. There is a, and you, you get trained this heavily in the military. There is this delta between that reality and pulling a trigger. And if you're not in the right mental state, even though you're willing to pull that trigger, you don't long enough that you're taken out. And this is why often the case, like guy goes out, gets his, his wife or his girlfriend at 38, she puts it in her purse. And when there comes a point, unfortunately, where she needs to use that weapon, it ends up getting taken away from her, used on mm-hmm. her, whether she's to hold, hold her up or kill her, doesn't matter. But one way or another, that weapon's taken away, even with some level of training, because training in just how to use the weapon is limited in its effectiveness. Long ago, I did a podcast on my show uh, called The Reality of Violence. And you, you might want to, if you haven't heard that show, if you're in this audience, you might want to look it up at the survivalpodcast.com. Just type violence into my uh, search box and you can listen to that show where I go deeply into this because you have to mentally prepare yourself to do something you don't want to do. I, I hope I never have to take anybody's life. But if I have to, I'm mentally prepared to do so. And you have to do something that's actually really kind of twisted, and you actually have to game out in your mind scenarios where you would. Because there also is a case where you can't react too quickly. And this is where sometimes I'm almost as hard on cops as Pete is, just to be you know clear on this. But this is where we have to give cops a little bit of some understanding at some point. Like a lot of these people that are completely anti-cop, well, they, they take them and they put them in, like, you give them simunitions and you give them scenarios where they actually have to draw a weapon and shoot or not. And they end up making some pretty critical errors and mistakes because you don't know what that situation is like you engage in. So I think you really need to put some time into understanding, am I willing to do this or not? Because if you're not, then you need to take other tactics. And, and I think we all need to take other tactics until we can't. But, like, maybe you need to think more about that because – it is a, a big thing to take a person's life. This is why when you're in the military and they have you shooting, you shoot at targets that look like humans. But they're nondescript. They're NPC. They're literally the original NPC is the pop-up 300-meter target in the military. Because what they train you to do is get to the point where as long as that person is the enemy, that's all you see is that silhouette. And it sucks, but if you're going to do it, that's where your mind has to be. And it's actually the only way that if you do do it, you'll be able to live with yourself. Maybe. And that is a maybe, and that's another thing that's important to understand. Yeah. I'm going to tag off of the mental preparation from Jack uh, as a person who does not know if she's willing to take a life. I I have a gun. I know how to use a gun. I think I'm willing to if I have to, but I don't want to ever be in that situation. And so um, what I tell people to do is think through mentally in advance what you need to do to avoid it. And really game that out. You know, if somebody comes to the hauler with ill intent and if the environment in our area is likely to to be, you know, a pod of civil unrest, which seems unlikely for where we are, which is part of why I live there. Right. We're not going to have, you know, barriers up and militarized vehicles and guys walking around with rifles on their their backs. Right. We don't I just don't want anybody to find me. A tree might fall. And it might just not be desirable to drive down my street. That could happen. And I think along with that, what you can do tangibly now, if you haven't been getting ready for 
taking care of yourself and building a, a community of people that you can communicate with, that you can tap into for, for resupply and that sort of thing is don't feel pressured to get that done by six weeks from now or eight weeks from now. Just take the first steps of getting to know people and analyzing what you want to have in place. Because if you panic and start trying to build everything at once, it doesn't usually get built in a way that supports your long-term goals Mm. or that's likely to get you through any coming hard time. And then the last thing is pregame stuff. So Jack was already talking about the mental part of, you know, if you're able to take a life or not, but I'm in California right now. Where would you not want to be if there's pockets of civil unrest? California is one of those places. So um, I have family here and they're very important to me. And where when I want to be here is Christmas. And as I looked at the next few months, I thought, you know, when I probably, it's probably not a good time to be here at Christmas. Don't do stupid things in stupid places with stupid people, right? I'm not going to fly into an area with no ability to bring a weapon with me and no good idea of how I'm going to defend myself at a time when it's likely to have more unrest. And as I looked at where we were in in the country and what was going on as far as where riots were bubbling up, it wasn't here. And so I thought, well, this week I can go. And so I'm going to go and take care of that. But before I came here, I pre-gamed the whole thing. I know how I get out of here. I have some things with me to help me get out of here if I have to, if for some reason the governor shuts down the airports or whatever, or if it looks like there are wildfires coming, or if it looks like there's going to be, because there was a shooting apparently last weekend here where a white cop shot an African-American if that turns into more protests, I know how to drive out and I know where I'm going. And I've talked to people about helping me get to where I can then get home. And I have places I can fly to that are places that I could then get back to Tennessee if I can't go straight to Tennessee. And I think at this time where it's kind of hard to predict what's going to happen, where think about those things in advance, because if you've thought it through, Even if it never happens, all you've done is expand your mind's ability to analyze a problem. That's the worst case scenario. If you have thought it through and something goes wrong, you know where you're going, how you're going to get there, and you have what you need with you to do that much more comfortably than if it's just panic time. Yeah. You you know that there's something there that I call the modified rule of threes. So there's the rule of threes and survival, you know, three three days without food, you know, Three three days without water, three weeks without food, et cetera. Um, when it comes to getting out, my modified rules of three are wherever you are, three destinations you can go to, already predetermined. Each of those destinations, three routes to those destinations. On each of those routes, three rallying points with other members of your family, your group, predetermined. That's all mapped out in Google Maps. That's all available to every single person that's in your group or family. I, for every member of the family in every vehicle, there's a binder that we have that has, among other things, those in them. So that if I were to end up in a point where my son was freaking the hell out with his kids and, like, needs to get to wherever we're going, I could say turn to page 27. Look at Route 3. This is where we're going. This is where we're going to meet. And then you also have predetermined some level of a signal that I've been to this place, something that nobody would 
really bother like a Pringles can or something like that. So that if you're there and you're waiting on that person to rally with you and you lose comms and the cops come and go or National Guard or whatever, you can't stay here. You got to go and they get there and they see that, that dead drop you've put in place that they know that you've done that and they know not to wait for you and they know to go to the next rally point or to go to the final destination. And, and it doesn't have to be that. It has to be that type of thinking. And you would probably condense that, Nicole, being out of town, right? That might be an ex- a bit excessive for you being out of town. It's, it's, it's not excessive for where you live, but having at least more than one route out and more than one place that you would go. And having that plan in place can save your life because what happens is we get in these places where we know we need to do something, but we don't know what to do, what we need to do. So we, we get into a vapor lock in our mind and we stop. And there's been plenty of situations where the person ends up dead and they had every resource they needed to not end up dead, but they didn't know what to do because they couldn't think because when we get to stress, because that, that's, a, that's a big part of military training too. Not only can you do it, can you do it under stress? So in the military, what they'll do is since they can't actually shoot at you for real, other than a few times they do, um, they will like scream at you while you're doing something. Like when you're doing first aid training and you're, 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 you're basically listening to one instructor saying what the feedback is because they can't actually make the guy stop breathing or not have a pulse or whatever. The other guy's screaming in your ear like, you're doing it wrong. You're killing him. He's going to die. His parents aren't going to see him because of you. Like shit like that. Right. And so you have to actually think that way. Can I do this under stress? And, looking to a thing you've predetermined and saying, this is my plan, you can do that under stress. Can you do it in the freezing rain, blowing on your face with a, with a, with a flashlight in your teeth, right? And you only get there by gaming it out over and over again. So kudos for you for doing that. Yeah, that's good. That's intense. And there's the, we're talking about stuff on the show tonight, and it's just sometimes it's hard to – grasp that we're like we're so already here right like stuff that we just speculated about in the past we're we're there where this stuff is super important and there's definitely a need it's not just some far off potential pete you got anything you recently did a podcast on civil unrest with uh ex-military and ex-cop guy one of the big takeaways i got from that that stuck with me was one of the guys said, yeah, the best way to win a fight is to avoid it altogether. I thought that was great advice and kind of echoes some of the stuff Nicole's talking about, like just be conscious and aware of what's going down and know your surroundings and have uh, pre-operational planning and and all that good stuff. What do you got, Pete? I like who who said it, CJ, um, the gray man. Yep. Be, be a gray man. That's just what you have to do. I've lived where I've lived for 10 years. Most of my neighbors don't know what I have in my house. They don't know, you know, <laughs> I, I was, I was going to let the cat out of the bag, but no, I mean, <laughs> there's, <laughs> yeah, I have a lot in here and everyone talks about bugging out. I would, pr- unless it got so hot that, we couldn't handle it. I would just bug in. And, you know, from talking to Jack for the first time, I have about three months worth of food. I have about three months worth of water. I have years worth of ammo. And, you know, I would just, I would stay put until I couldn't anymore. And, but if you're going to do that, you have to be prepared and you have to, um, you know, have food stocks. And you know, I'm I'm at about three months right now, so 
um, three months food, three months water. And my wife knows, my wife knows how to use weapons. I think my wife would take a, a life a lot easier than I would. She's just insane. But, you know, <laughs> good for you. It's, She's it's, gangsta. Not, it's nice that there's two of us um, that are that know how to use weapons and are willing to use them. So, nice. um, yeah, the whole bugging in thing is uh, like I'm going to I'm going to stay here until until I absolutely can't. And um, the one thing, if people I think people really should look into the whole concept of becoming the gray man. Because that's really important. I may I may be the only person in Georgia who doesn't have a bumper sticker on a Subaru. Uh-huh. So yeah, that speaks to me. That yeah, speaks yeah, to me well, a lot. Let me just jump in a little bit more on that. Um, I would emphasize the idea of don't go looking for trouble, right? I mean, I'm someone whose hobbies include martial arts and and shooting and all these sorts of things. I deliberately go out of my way to not go looking for trouble. And, you know, to look at an example that I'm sure we're all familiar with uh, recently, uh, what was his name? Kyle Rittenhouse? Is that the kid's name? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, you know, I don't claim to, to be the expert on every last detail of what happened there, but it looks to me like on the one hand, in the moment, it was self-defense on his part, that there was a violent, angry mob that was trying to hurt or kill him, and it was self-defense mm-hmm. in the moment. But if you back the tape up to, like, why was he there? What did he think he was doing? Why on earth did his mom, I think I think he had a single parent, let the 17-year-old go to be Captain America and defend businesses in the town that's not even, like, where he lived? You know I mean, why? That, you know why? Because, because, the because he watched no all the... Du- because the police have no duty to protect you, mm-hmm. and they are not protecting anyone in these right. cities. And... So this 17-year-old kid is like, well, if the police aren't there to protect us, and which is hilarious because, I mean, the kid, if you look at his Facebook, he's a complete cop oh, sucker yeah. and worships the police. Right. Well, that's the thing. He had, a, he had a hero complex. It's one thing for a 17-year-old kid to, you know, pick up a weapon and defend his home or his block or his neighborhood or whatever. But he put himself in that situation and his, you know, mother, because he's a minor, like let him. Um, and so, I mean, I look at that and I go, in, in some ways, it kind of reminds me of, of how I thought about the George Zimmerman thing, where it's like, on the one hand, yes, in the moment, it may have been self-defense when George Zimmerman shot uh, Trayvon. But then the question is, like, what was George Zimmerman doing playing, you know, wannabe cop driving around looking for people to confront? Right. Um, and and kind of in a way precipitating the situation. So I don't know. To me I look at I look at the Rittenhouse thing and I say, yeah, in the moment he was doing self defense, but he put himself in that situation. His mother let him put himself in that situation. And that is that is something I would avoid. And I certainly wouldn't let my kids, you know, if they were seventeen year old wannabe cops, I certainly they're like, yeah, I'm gonna go pick up my AR and go defend businesses over there mm-hmm. where we don't even live. I'd be like, no you're not. You know, if the if the bad guys come, if the bad guys come in our cul-de-sac, I'll shoot them full of holes right away. But um, I'm not going to 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 insert myself right into things that um, I don't know. It, se- it seems like in a situation like this, you've got to really be kind of ruthless. Like, yes, I absolutely defend 
the principle of private property and the right of private property owners to defend against looters? Absolutely. But on the other hand, like my responsibilities are here, right? With, with me and mine. And, you know, like if I heard there was looting going on in Jacksonville, which is like an hour and a half up the road from me, I'd totally intellectually be on the side of anyone defending their business or home or property or what have you. I'm not going to go grab my kit and drive up to Jacksonville and go try and confront the Antifers um, and, and act surprised when it doesn't turn out well. Hmm. Well, and who is this guy that goes to a 17-year-old kid and his friends and says, hey, come defend my business for me? You know, if that's me, my first response is, why aren't you defending your own business? And if I am going to go defend somebody's place, their business, their home or whatever, well, I'm going to that spot and I'm staying in that spot. Hmm. And then there's another, like, intellectual calculation, like, so is anybody able to defend themselves in this place now? Like, has law enforcement chosen the side already of those committing the civil disobedience? Well, I'm not going into that. I mean, this is where I did some videos about, you know, I I basically said some of y'all ain't fucking read The Art of War and it shows. Mm -hmm. Like, you do not let your enemy choose the... The, the site, the time, and the, the, the circumstances around a battle, you don't ever do that. And that's like John was talking earlier about how all this shit's going down. Pete was saying it too. It's all going down in these areas that are under leftist control, even if a lot of the state isn't. There's a reason. There's a reason that there's not a whole bunch of shit going on out in my backyard right now. There's a, because they know that my neighbor will shoot them. My other neighbor will shoot them. I will shoot them. Those people over there will shoot this guy over here. I don't even know will shoot them. They know that. And they stay in places where they actually are protected by whatever remnant of law enforcement is there. You notice that like all kinds of shit goes down. People are throwing like bottles full of concrete at cops and getting away with it. But let somebody defend themselves, let somebody defend their property, they're not only arrested, they're prosecuted to a ridiculous level. I think Kyle Rittenhouse will be convicted on multiple counts. I think first-degree murder, maybe one count, maybe not. I don't know. I really don't know the circumstances around the first shooting. The second two, like, if I was his defense attorney, I would be using that to show over-prosecution. Like, here's a guy trying to kill him with a skateboard. So, And I know uh, Sal, who's part of our group, disagrees with me on that, but... If I'm in the middle of something where people are chanting, kill him, kill him, get him, and some guy comes in and tries to club me with a skateboard just because he doesn't get me good, doesn't mean he's not getting shot. But but that that's the kind of thing that's going on right now is we have these places, these pockets, where everything's exploding, and the people doing the violence are being protected. Going there is really, really beyond stupid, in my opinion. And it doesn't mean that I don't – like, CJ, I get the intellectual argument of, the, like, we have to defend ourselves, whatever. But – Man, that is not the place. That is not the time because the enemy has chosen that place and time. Yeah, it, it'd be one thing if find ourselves in. Yeah, it, I was just gonna say it would be one thing if, you know, instead of being some seventeen-year-old kid who appointed himself Captain America or Batman or whatever, <laughs> he he had been like a private security guard adult hired yeah. by that business to defend that business. I then then I'd be like. Start to finish, it's completely, you know, on his side, right? Whereas the way it actually is, it's the situation where in the moment it may well have been legit self-defense. But to me, then it's the question of like, even setting aside the legality, the, the sort of 
the moral question and the question of prudence, right? Which is something that, that, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of ancient philosophers used to put a lot of emphasis on this idea of prudence that, you know, it's one thing if you know you're right or, or whatever, but you still have to weigh in the balance the question of prudence. Like, is it wise for me to, to die on this hill? Or, or to insert myself into this situation, right? Or to cause this confrontation. Um, and I think particularly in times like these that are very chaotic and unstable and you can't always count on, you know, the law and, and everything like that to be on your side. You have to really put a premium, on, premium on, on prudence, on this idea of, is this a wise move, right? Because I mean, if I went and charged out and started defending, like if there were riots in my community, which there aren't, and I just started defending random businesses that I didn't even know who owned them just on principle. It's like, well, I might end up killing somebody or being killed. And either way, then I'm either dead or I'm incarcerated and facing trial or whatever. And I'm no longer available to take care of my kids and my family and all that. And I think as far as the mental preparation, this has to be part of it too. As far as, you know, minimizing your risk, avoiding certain situations, the gray man idea, like, you know, if you've, especially if you've got dependents that you need to help take care of and provide for and all that, it's like, yeah. you've got to pick your battles. You've got yeah. to pick your battles and avoid the ones you can possibly avoid. Yeah. That's so something important. I thought might be interesting to talk about is how do we think supply chains are going to be impacted as these pods of violence um, mm. kind of explode in different places and what should we do about that? Yeah, We know one of the tactics of the Antifa and the more radical elements of the protests are to block the highways, which I always hated as a tactic. Um, it's not going to win anyone over. It's going to piss people off. There's even videos of like African-American guys getting out of their car and they're like, I got kids to feed. I'm, I got to go to work. You know, you guys are jamming me up here. It's not helping the cause. I remember hearing reports of uh, truck drivers and truck drivers unions that were like, if the police aren't going to crack down on this and restore some order, then we're not going to go through that city anymore. So I think that's a real potential problem uh, that could really disrupt the supply chain. And then if we do, so like Jack started off by saying the unrest and the civil unrest and the collapse that we may or may not see is going to be very unique and it's going to be isolated to certain areas. I do think the one thing that could lead to like really hardcore unrest and collapse would be the total dropout of the, of the U S economy. However, I don't think that that is going to happen. Like back in 2006, I'd always tell my, my old man, dad, you got to pull your money out of the stock market. You got to buy gold and silver. The economy is going to collapse. And he would say, you know, John, I could go up in the attic and get a book called How to Profit from the Upcoming Collapse, written in 1978. And that was a real eye-opener for me. And I was just kind of like, huh. But then I realized through, like, study of Austrian economics, it's all part of the same collapse. And they're just reinflating the bubble over and over and over. So I don't know if there's a lot of people, you know, like the oligarchs don't stand to benefit from an economic collapse. The communists stand to benefit from an economic collapse and then a rebuilding in a different, a different way. So I don't know if there will be total disruption. I do know that the supply chain is vulnerable 
And it's all about preparing for the worst, right? And conceptualizing and theorizing, okay, let's say the worst case scenario does happen. And in that circumstance, the supply chain would be totally collapsed. So it's all about the preps and kudos to Pete for having three months food storage. I used to encourage people to have two weeks food storage. Then COVID hit and it's like, no, we got to accelerate. You got to escalate that quite a bit. So I think it's just assume that the supply chain is or will collapse one of these days and act accordingly is what I would say. How about- I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have three months if I didn't meet this psychopath named Jack Spierko who uh, started talking <laughs> Good to for you, bro. this extremist. You know, I, I, what I have to say is what about the supply chains that have already either uh oh, collapsed, but are already strained. NSA just came in to get okay, back. Uh, oh, again? Yes. Am I there? You guys hear me? You're back. Okay. You're back. Uh, I had to reboot. Already. You were saying, anyway, what about the supply chains and the just. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, what about it? if it happens again, you know it's real. They, they, Xavier's not here, so they're after me. Um, <laughs> but what about the supply chains that are pretty much already not maybe collapsed, but they're just. They're already strained to the point where they might as well have collapsed. So, if we look at something like uh, ammunition right now, like you guys were talking about guns and buy guns and ammo, you, you <laughs> might want to actually, if you're deciding what gun to buy right now and you're a new gun owner, check ammo avail- uh, availability. Don't don't be on these forums about, you know, do you get more knockdown power from a 40 Smith & Wesson or 9 million? What <laughs> the hell can you buy? I had yeah. somebody write me this week, and they're like, hey, what the hell happened with 357 Magnum ammo? And I'm a 357 Magnum guy. And I'm like, shit, that's I, I picked that because there's always, you know, you can always go Sportsman's Guide and buy an ammo can full of that shit for pennies. Nope. I mean, 357 Magnum is gone like a fart in the wind. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to do a show on reloading. I haven't done that in a while. Uh, okay, large pistol Magnum and small pistol Magnum primers. Can't get them. Barely can get any large uh, large pistol primer, you know, standard primer or small pistol, pistol standard primer. So, like, people are talking about buying guns, and I have a saying I've been saying for 12 years now. A gun without ammo is an expensive club. So, like, ammo has already collapsed as a supply chain to a degree. A lot of stuff you can get, and obviously – you would think that the stuff like two, two, three, and 9mm would be the first place stuff to go. You can get it. And that's because everybody already stocked up on it. So, like, there's all kinds of weird things that happen in the supply chain. We just finally decided, you know what, we're going to go ahead and buy another deep freezer. And there was one. One that we could get in the next three weeks. Wow. One. And that's been since May. So we've already had this. I haven't listened to it yet, but Stefan Molyneux has a – uh, podcast he did with a guy that's a captain of a ship, like ship captain. And they're talking about the disruption to shipping. And I haven't listened yet. So I don't know how valid it is, but like his description was something like one third will starve and one third will freeze was wow. what this captain was saying. Now he was talking globally and we tend to do better in the developed world than the undeveloped world. Uh, they generally suffer first and more, but that's a concern as well. Like the damage that's been done here is so deep. It's so deep. And in some ways, I think the damage that's been done economically that includes the supply chains, it's kind of like somebody that got stabbed with a sword, but they didn't fall over yet, and they're bleeding internally. I remember when I was a kid one time, I shot a deer with a bow, and the arrow was a perfect pass-through, and the deer took off like they usually do. It ran about 20 yards, and it stopped. And I was like, I know I saw that arrow very through the chest. I started questioning myself in my limited vision, you know, like, did I really hit this deer? 
And I knocked another arrow, and he was eating a bush, like eating some stuff off a bush. And all of a sudden, his butt end started kind of wiggling and waggling, mm-hmm. and he fell over, and he died. But he stood there for 30 seconds nibbling on something, not that's knowing the US he was economy right now. And I feel that is the, that's the world economy right now. Uh, and so, good God, like, what's going to dry up next? I don't know, but plenty of stuff already has. Yeah, yeah Square point. D yeah. is not shipping new replacement supplies until February. It's upon us. Which is the breakers in your, like, your breaker box and stuff like that. So electricians are already, whenever you plan a project, it's like, what can we buy for your project? So yes. when you have to do your V-shaped recovery and you got a construction project, if you can't get the shit to build it with. Hmm. Yeah, the the um, damage to supply lines and the reduction in particularly long-distance trade, that's another common hallmark of imperial decline and collapse. Mm. Like if you if you look back at the, the um, decline and collapse of the Bronze Age civilizations in the ancient Mediterranean world or you look at the collapse of the Western Roman Empire, what you find is before the collapse, there's tons of archaeological evidence – of lots of very long, like surprisingly long distance trade. You know, you find goods that are made, you know, in North Africa and you find them in Spain, you know, or goods that are, that are made in Italy that you find in Egypt, right? And then what happens is when a collapse happens, that evidence in the archaeological, you know, stratum dries up and everything is like much more local and regional. And, um, you know, the general standard of living tends to fall, right? And so I don't see why we wouldn't have a, a 21st century equivalent of that, right, where things get disrupted. They they may not get entirely eliminated. I'm not saying that in 10 years we won't be able to buy anything made overseas or made on the other side of the country, but that there will be a, a, a reduction in how often and readily things are available. And, yeah, I'm seeing it already, you know, even I'm sure many of you have as well, where you go to the store and there'll be like a random shortage of something you wouldn't predict, right? Like, you know, there haven't been shortages around me of, of toilet paper and hand sanitizer and whatever in a long time, but I'll go in and like every now and then there'll be just one random thing. Like one, one day I'll just go in there. Oh, there's no frozen vegetables. That's kind of weird, you know? Mm-hmm. And then they're back in a few weeks, but then, you know, in a few weeks later, it's like I go in and there's nothing in the canned meat section. There's no tuna or canned chicken or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's these weird things that like if you go back a few years ago, that never happened. The shelves of everything were always full all the time. And everybody took for granted this miracle, this eye pencil uh miracle, Absolutely. right? Of the division of labor and all that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And oh by the way, on the specific subject of ammo, um obviously the best thing is to hoard a bunch of ammo ten or twenty years ago, like I did. But um it also it's handy to have a few guns in Somewhat less popular, but not super obscure calibers. Like just a few examples that I've been able to still find ammo for. Not that I really need it, but why not throw a few more on? Um, 32 auto, 357 sig, 10 millimeter auto, 41 mag in rifles, 6.5 Creed, 303 British. Like it's amazing how often the really popular stuff is cleaned out. The weird oddball calibers, 356 Winchester or whatever is like, can't find it. And if you do, it's a hundred bucks. But those, those, uh, those calibers that are like kind of popular, but not on the front rank of popularity. Um, it's helpful to have a few guns in some of those calibers 
I would say. Who the hell stocks up on a thousand rounds of six point five Creedmoor? Right. This guy. I mean, it's a this deer guy. Yeah, I know, but it's a, like a deer hunter round. Like, right? so you know how much how much ammo do you need to shoot deers with? You know, but it's yeah, you know, it'll also convert to an AR platform really nicely too. So yeah, there's cool with that. Um, you know, I would say thinking this way, if you're if you're worried about civil unrest in your area, a couple of notes that I made when we were talking earlier was number one, ammo. So that that's that's been said now over and over. But two is uh, night vision. One of the reasons that I believe that you're dead, if, if, if things like, cause there's procedure and protocol. Protocol is like where we're at on the alert factor. So we have levels of protocol and then we have procedures we use within those protocols. So right now we're in, we're in really where I live, I'm in like a peacetime protocol. Like we're always on alert, but we're kind of like chill. Like the dogs don't have to spend every night outside right now. We go up in protocol, the dogs stay outside. Well, the dogs are my early alert system. I don't think my dogs are uh, superheroes. One of them thinks he is. But, you know, a dog can be shot just like a human, and they don't have guns. But but those dogs make noise, so they tell me what's going on. I have, I have, I have night vision capability. I have neighbors with night vision capability. You come here in the dark, we can see you coming from a mile away. I can blind you with a laser without shooting you, right? And, and I know that sounds awful, but, like, I'd rather you be blind than dead. Right. I mean, there's 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 a case for that. And so if you want to really have security on your property, you need to be able to own the night. That's still widely available. It's expensive, but it's widely available. If you can't go there, even some of the kid level like toy shit from China that's available. Actually, it's not going to work as a scope on a rifle, but it's it works like I'm talking like thirty dollar like night vision toy binoculars for kids with like kind of like peripheral lighting that you get in kind of a, a outer suburban area or whatever works surprisingly well, at least to know that there's people there and going on. And like, that is a huge hole that a lot of people have. Here's Xavier an hour late. Cause he doesn't know how time zones work. That's Par for the course. Xavier is here. <laughs> yeah. Is that why you're late? Cause time yeah. it would be better if he would have just started talking and surprised oh, you live on the East coast, dude. I'm just, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he can work it. I Number came in on that. Learn how to tell time. I know, man. I'm, I'm on island time all the time. Um, so you guys were talking about ammo, and when I was purchasing ammo, you guys probably mentioned this too that they wouldn't let you buy. They wouldn't let us buy ammo at the at the gun range or at the store unless you were purchasing a gun of that caliber. And they were saying that the iron mines and Remington is going out of business. Remington is filing bankruptcy, which is big news to me. Yikes. These are all That's big one things. of the major manufacturers of ammo and not only under the Remington brand, by the way, guys. Remington manufactures the ass out of ammo for the government. Now, a lot of times when an entity goes bankrupt, they're not actually gone, but I, I'm not sure how that plays out. Um, I know I had to buy Russian ammo, so now, I got Russian bullets, which is interesting. So strap the conspiracy helmets on here for a second. Um, All right. I do have some sources that are government level sources that have proven reliable in the past, but I, I doubt them on this. I, I follow the rules of journalism. I don't report something unless I can get it from two different sources. I've been able to do that. I haven't been get, able to get it from two different types of sources. Right. And, and what I'm being told from several of my inside the government contacts is that there is a huge move underway to 
get off of dependence from China by the Trump administration. Yeah. Again, these are people that have given me data in the past that I've questioned, and it's it, it's vetted out. So they have credibility with me. They didn't say there's going to be a national lockdown a few months. No, ago. no, 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 no. Yeah, some people burn <laughs> their shit with that. I don't trust them anymore at all. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, they've said that there's, especially with manufacturing, drugs, et cetera, this huge move that Trump Trump's administration is doing to to ramp up manufacturing in the United States. And to source a lot of material that we get from outside, from different places, other than some of the places that have not worked out well. And that you're not hearing this because basically he's trying to stay ahead of China on this. Like, they don't want to be cut off with what we're still getting before we're ready to be cut off. Right. And that you're going to hear it like a couple weeks before the election. It's going to be a big part of his reelection push. That's Mm -hmm. what I'm being told. My problem and the reason I haven't come out and reported this is fact, and I won't. Is okay, then somebody somewhere in my network should be able to say, Hey, we're doing it. Like, I need a non governmental source to confirm this, you know, someone at a production facility somewhere to be able to say, Hey, we're actually producing the shit out of, or we're building something or we're, you know, we're, we're getting this online. The only place I've gotten that from is the drug manufacturers. It's only for hydroxychloroquine, which is being banned, right? So I can't confirm a second source of a different type. And so that may or may not actually be happening, but I've, I've gotten that from, to give kind of the level, like a congressional chief of staff, right? So like there is this story that that's going on, but I haven't been able to confirm that with anybody outside of that fold that's kind of inside the whole Republican side fold of government. Well, it just makes sense logically, with especially the things that they're projecting uh, like publicly. You know, we want to get off of oil independence and energy independence. We did that. Uh, you know, and then as soon as that happened, they started pulling out of the Middle East and then they signed all these peace treaties because the United States is not going to be there anymore to kind of police and mess things up. Right. So they're mm-hmm. going to have to figure out something. So that was the whole uh, energy thing. And it's the same with production and manufacturing. It just makes sense, especially with the covid or I mean, sorry, the China virus and the fact that this was <laughs> definitely 100 percent lab made. Yeah. And like what's happening between Russia, India, Japan and the United States surrounding China. I mean, it just it just makes logical sense that we're going to have to find our things from elsewhere. And I think that that's happening at like maybe at the industrial and institutional level. But it's going to take, you know, a number of years, I would think, to fully remove that dependency on even just consumer level stuff. I mean, Harbor Freight is down like their, their shelves are barely full i mean they're empty empty and like home depot there's stuff that doesn't appear for weeks like you were saying Uh, you know and so there are serious supply chain issues and if we go into a balkanization sort of process where the dnc is like we're not accepting the results or we won and the republicans are like no we're not accepting these results because we haven't counted all these fake ballots yet you know there's there's some serious questions whether you know states will secede or and then what happens to the supply chain where are most of the ports? Mm. Where are most of the, the distribution centers for all of yeah. the, you know, box stores? Do you that think of the most polarized super... states, right and left? So Texas would be a, a right wing state that's highly polarized. California, Oregon, Washington and New York, right. highly polarized left. Mm-hmm. There's the va- and I would say Louisiana, you can add that and Florida go right wing there. Mm-hmm. Those those are e- almost everything that comes in this country that comes on a ship comes through one of those states. Yeah. Right, right. That's a lot of power. 
that well, could so be a, a sleep. Eighty like percent, I think, of the oil refined in the United States is refined in Texas and Louisiana. Texas yeah. is a powerhouse. We could tex it and be okay. We have uh, our own grid. Be, I mean, that alone would yeah, be. Yeah, Texas. That could be a sleeper deal. result that leads to total collapse or obviously supply chain crisis. If there's a trade war that escalates again and China decides like, hey, we we see the writing on the wall like Jack was inferring or his sources are saying. And if China's like, we're going to go ahead and beat you to it and they just stop supplying pharmaceuticals or stop supplying all the widgets or all the parts right. to build all these things that we're dependent on as Americans, that could really accelerate a collapse. And I don't, I don't know if the U.S. would respond militarily. Um, I don't know if you coerce them into the Trump's coercing industry into producing PPE and stuff. So I don't know if the U.S. Yeah. tries to coerce China and to continue to manufacture, but that could really be like a, a little sleeper way that. But who has the power in a consumer purchaser or provider relationship? The consumer, right? So if they say we're not selling you stuff anymore, it's like, well, fine. We're hundreds of millions of Americans who are very ingenuous, have high ingenuity and we'll build our own. You know, they would just give us a reason to do it. Do you know what I mean? Well, so think about this though, like on the debt issue with China, there's an old saying that like, if I owe you $10,000, I have a problem. If I owe you $10 million, you have a problem. Right. And, and that is kind of the barrel we have China over. But China also, let's say China, let's say Xavier's right. China built this shit in the lab and released it on purpose. Because I honestly think that China doesn't give a shit. Right. If they lose a hundred million people. I, I, I honestly exactly. think they're like, yeah, we got yeah. 1.8 billion. So fuck it. We're yeah. good. Yeah. Right. So they like, killed a lot. only do that calculation. Yeah. What if while all this shit's going on and shit gets really, really bad and stuff that, 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 cause what China's wanted forever is what? Taiwan. China's wanted Taiwan back for like the World Health Organization won't even say the word Taiwan. I know. <laughs> UN officials will not say the word Taiwan. So what about we get into a point where maybe there's a Texit or there's some kind of huge breakdown or you know, first of all, I'll just in, in Trump's defense, I think if it's an obvious loss, he'll he'll walk away. But yeah. I think if it's like razor thin, we could be battling like well, all that shit's going on. China just like moves on Taiwan. Mm. So and this North is, Korea moves on South Korea. Let's just fuck so everybody's day up at once right now, US right? Will like, be really vulnerable. All that shit happens in one week. Do you think the U.S. has a stomach to fight those wars? I don't. I don't think that that will happen. Here's why: Russia and India. So recently, Russia was supposed India to supply, just wax China's ass. Right? Totally. And and, and and Russia was supposed to supply China with like 3,800 surface-to-air missiles or something like that. And at the last minute, they were like, oh, no, you guys have COVID. It's probably too much for you. We're just going to go ahead and keep your money and give the rest of it over to India. And then they've had yeah. this reciprocal deal with India where India has been giving them billions of dollars that India doesn't have. We're not allowed to give them billions of dollars, but India is. And we just supported yeah. India in this huge deal, right? So we've got all of this money moving around, supplies moving around. Japan just went from a peaceful, you know, we don't get involved anymore after we got our asses handed to us in World War II to we're going to build a Navy that can supply troops to India, basically. So yeah. they've got China surrounded. Everybody at the top level know that, that China released this, whether on purpose or on accident. Um, but they definitely let it impact everybody. And so they're basically like, you know, F these guys. And are kind of forming a de facto like coalition, or so it seems, since we don't have that intel like direct firsthand. But looking at how they're behaving, it's sort of like everybody's sort of surrounding them and and being like, all right, you guys need to start playing nice or else. And then if you look at Taiwan, what we've been doing with Taiwan, 
Uh, we've been encouraging them. We've been helping them. We've been, I don't know the exact details, but I suspect that if like the Three Gorges Dam or something goes in China and they're facing the same kind of hundreds of millions of people dead from flooding, you know, that we will step in and like recognize Taiwan and make a treaty with Taiwan. Because at that point, it's sort of like we're holding all the cards. We're holding all the trade deals. Um, you guys released this virus on the entire world and, you know, F off. We're going to say how things you think that there might be a much tighter alliance. Let's say Trump wins. So that's done. And it's four years and it is what it is. And then you have no more Russiagate shit is possible at that point. A much tighter alliance between the United States and Russia? Because I don't think Russia wants any shit from us, right? Like, nope. I think Russia's like, we don't really care. We kind of want what we've wanted for 200 years, which is a port in the Black Sea, and to be left the fuck alone with it. Right. Maybe pump some oil across Syria, which you guys clearly don't give a shit about. Yeah. And it's, like, really not a problem. Like, if we can have those two things, we'll just shut the fuck up and go on with our lives. Yep. Right? They, but they Trump are- can't. Trump can't look this soft on Russia right now. Like exactly. for people on the audio only, they can't look like a millimeter soft on Russia. But nope. it's, like, it's almost like uh, Obama's thing, right? Tell Vladimir I'll have more flexibility after the election. Like, yeah. And then you throw in a six-three Supreme Court because Barrett's getting freaking nominated, like or getting yeah. approved. That's happening. Like you could end up with a totally different world by January if Trump gets reelected. I'm not advocating either side. Just. So I'm a lo- I think most of us agree, like, we hate both political parties, but yep. the right wing tends to leave us the fuck alone more, right? So yep. we'll, like, you Unless know, the enemy of my enemy is my know, friend. Architecting, you know, terrorist and false flag attacks. So Russia, you got to <laughs> understand, Russia is still recovering from their communist revolution, right? They have gone back to, like, full-on Christianity, supporting all kinds of efforts and wholesomeness that didn't exist after the, after the, the Bolshevik revolution. And it took somebody like a Putin to get in there and kind of set things straight. A strong man, he's a gangster, all of this stuff, and kind of get them back on track. So they kicked out the Rothschilds. They don't want anything to do with the New World Order. And all of the communist Marxist ideology that took them over, they see it happening here. Now, at some point in like in the 80s, they really wanted that that to happen. You know, they were encouraging it. And I think at this point, they recognize all of the deals that have been going on at a global banking level. And we're like... The, the, we might be former enemies, but it's like we're the best chance that they have for not ever seeing that happen again to, to, to Russia. And so in some regard, I think that they, they have our back. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, like we can't publicly because those forces are still in effect here in the United States. Like we should have indictments of all sorts. Right. Um, but we don't. And that's that's because there's there's a, a threat of the Democratic mandate, meaning like it would not look good. Right. But. It's pretty much everything opposite than what the news says. And that's the reason why they're pushing the whole Russiagate thing, because they could actually be strong allies in the in the fight against communism. And it seems like the Middle East is heading toward peace. Right. Like, at least not <laughs> fucking killing each other. Maybe it's not right. peace, but like, you know, yeah. at least not threatening constantly to kill each other. So it almost seems like Iran and China are getting isolated, which yeah. that's also could blow up the other direction at some point, right? Because those are two quite militarily powerful nations. Yeah. It looks like Israel and some of the other nations are moving against Iran. If, uh, you know, if, if I were to read the tea leaves, I think that, um, us I getting mean, if out Saudi of- Arabia comes over, it's done, right? Then. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. And there's some people who say that because Bahrain came on, that can't have happened unless, uh, they had to go ahead from Saudi. So. We'll see how that all plays out. But I think the, the, the biggest threat we have towards civil collapse is the 
the election and the Democrats and like rioting? What happens when the right starts taking things into their own hands and starts popping off these folks? You know, that's a real, a real, real possibility. And just to see the the resurgence of the right, like I study a lot of the Department of Homeland Security and their concern over the modern militia movement. That was a Fusion Center report that said to look out for Ron Paul bumper stickers could be a violent militia that. person. Yeah. And then so in the 90s, the right wing militia extremists, I don't like to use that word, but there was a resurgence under Bill Clinton. And a lot of people yeah. were familiar with the New World Order and the Federal Reserve and this whole <clears throat> philosophy and this understanding of that. And then under George Bush, it kind of went away and everyone was just shocked about about um, 9-11. And I should say Bill Clinton and the false flag that was the Oklahoma City bombing. After that, they instituted the Joint Terrorism Task Force and they really hammered down the militia movement and yeah. Timothy McVeigh and the whole um, them trying to blame it on militias. Right. Really, it was the Department of Justice and the federal government. Um, and then. People kind of went dormant because there was a right wing, even though he's just total establishment, George Bush. But then there was a huge resurgence under Obama, you know, yeah. Barack Hussein Obama and all this stuff. And he's a Muslim, everyone was saying. And then that resurgence bubbled up and bubbled up and got more organized and started to come out of the woodwork. And then when Trump took office, a lot of the right wing militia types and white nationalist types had a figurehead. And Trump didn't come in and distance himself. And if anyone saw the debate last night, he was called on to tell white nationalists to cool it and militias to cool it. And he totally deflected to and started blaming Antifa, which is responsible for most of the violence. And then he said something about Proud Boys, which is this like white nationalist right wing group that does engage in a lot of violence, whether they cause it or react to it. He said uh, for the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by. So I think even he had an opportunity to just distance himself from white nationalism, which seems like the political thing to do. But I think he genuinely wants his base to be activated and ready. And if the Dems try to pull the rug out or if it's too close, he may further encourage the violence and stay in power. And we could see some pretty hardcore stuff coming up for this country, like really hardcore. Well, I wouldn't concede if I were him. I mean, if they've got mail-in ballots, like, I wouldn't concede, and I would totally understand why, you know, like, and so it's that, squat up. I mean, that's that's kind of like what's happening. Everything's coming to a head with the Flynn and all these other guys. Um, but here's the thing, right? Like, so the, any politician has every right to contest any election ever, especially right. if it's close, through the court system. Of right. course, where is that going to go now? It's going to go to a 6-3 court. Yeah. With three appointees by Trump. So mm -hmm. even, let's say everything's completely kosher. Trump really wins. The left is going to believe they got, they believe they got screwed. They haven't accepted it. Either points. way, they're going to believe right? it. Right? Yeah. So, but they're going to have a legitimate objection. If Trump loses, the right is going to have a legitimate yeah. objection. And if, I think if you don't believe that was designed, if you don't believe that was absolutely designed to be that way, that you've just gone asleep for the past four years. You like you you have not paid attention. Like this was set up so that there would be mud in the water no matter who won. This is not about Trump. This is not about Biden. This is not about left. This is not about right. This is about division. It doesn't matter who wins. It doesn't matter how that person wins. Trump could live and win in a Reagan esque landslide right now. And I would say if you poll Democrats, seventy percent will say there was election fraud. 70%, right? I mean, like, and it will never go away, and it will only get worse. 
So there's something I wanted to talk to Pete about this weekend, and it's basically this. There's 21 trillion missing in the last 10 years from HUD, which is uh, the Housing and Urban Development Organization in the, in the United States. 21 trillion on the books missing, not Ben Carson. Yeah, not not <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so it's not like question. Um, but if you think about who was in positions to be able to address that, like Trump was there, you know, Pelosi was there, all of these people that are on the opposite sides of the fence were essentially, you know, using this huge, uh, loophole basically to steal all this money from the United States government for who knows what. And the only way, so we're basically so far in debt that we can't take pay for our pensions, can't pay for social security, all these other things. And I don't know if that's exactly true, but that's what you hear. And, the idea that the states or the individuals in the states would have rights to those things if the United States ever defaulted. So the United States can't default because then they owe all these people a lot of money. The only way they can get out of owing all this 21 trillion that's missing is if the people themselves destroy the agreement and destroy the union, right? Then they, they default and they don't have to pay, right? So the idea that this is a left and right theater to get the everybody riled up to, to actual combat and destruction as a means of covering up this tri- tremendous theft, you know, like that's a that, that's something that you said triggered that thought in me and made me think that, like, you know, there's probably a lot more going on here than just what we are seeing on the on the stage. Well, I uh, I got to get going, but I wanted to say um, Xavier <laughs> respond to the email, the Zoom link invite I sent you and okay. um, for, for this Saturday. And you were talking about the whole white supremacy thing last night. Hey, you know, well. While we while we've been on here, my ADHD kicked in and I went on Twitter and just checked. David Duke is trending right now. And it seems that the press got their marching orders. And if you search in David Duke in Twitter, journalist after journalist after journalist is saying in 2016, Trump was asked to denounced david duke and he didn't in 2016 trump was asked to denounce it is all they got their marching orders we call it some of us call it the cathedral the cathedral is in full swing right now and Mm -hmm. it's just it's the greatest theater it's i mean (laughs) I, i don't have a dog in this fight but it's just so much fun to watch because you see how you're getting manipulated and then watch for an episode that i have coming out this friday with james corbett on the world economic forums great reset and yeah. i think john actually said that today and that's what they're looking at is an economic and social reset we yeah. have to make sure that everybody has the same opportunities and that everybody is provided for in the whole yeah. wide world and they're and not hiding be, it it'll be more palatable if the economy's in shambles people are out of work people are miserable if everyone's happy with the status quo as far as the economy and the social order goes then they're not going to go for this great reset, which is like all coupled with Agenda 2030 and sustainability and equity and all that good stuff. So maybe that's all part of it. The communist plan, you know, the the secret societies, the roundtable groups to crash it all down. And they're playing Trump, right, playing him like a fiddle to create the division, divide and conquer, and then to usher in. It's the classic Hegelian dialectic, which is problem, problem, reaction, solution. Problem is the chaos, the division, the potential for civil war. Reaction is somebody help us. We want, we need help maybe from the UN. And then the solution is the great reset. So like jumping out of the ocean for drowning folks, they'll jump into whatever boat. So we 
are all here taking steps to make sure that we don't have to jump in anybody's boat and anybody's solution without thinking reasonably, without think, thinking rationally and trying to come up with solutions so that we can be prepared. I like, as Jack says, you know, times get tougher, even if they don't. Well, let's, let's end on that. Let's get a, a tip from everybody. Um, something not the obvious, if, if you got time to come up with something, something not obvious, let's leave a tip for folks on how they can, how they can be prepared for the coming civil unrest. Not the coming. It's already here. What do you got? Anybody? Okay. I'll jump in because I haven't talked in a little while. Um, I think stop worrying about if it's going to happen. Stop worrying about reversing it and look internally at your yourself and your family and figure out what you can do with that. Because if you put all your energy into how you can be better with the reality that's around you, things will be as good as they can be for you. And if you put all your energy into the worry of what might be or what you can't stop to come, then you've wasted all that time that you could be setting yourself up for success. And right now there are so many opportunities and people are complaining about how hard it is and how you can't and this and that those people are wrong. Find your opportunities and take them while you got them. That's That's good. Good Good stuff. Like a spiritual angle. All right. Who's got some Spirko? Yeah. Call on people, make them do it. All right. So um, what I would say is, I'm trying to give a tip. We talked about ammo and ammo supply availability right now. Uh, I have a discount provider, and you can go without my discount. But if you got my discount from my member support brigade, you would uh, you'd probably pay for it with one discount on this. Um, it's called GunAdapters.com, and they allow you to take a shotgun and shoot just about anything through it. So I can take a 12 gauge shotgun, fire 20 gauge, 410, 16 gauge. 22 long rifle, 357 Magnum, 44 Magnum, uh, and a bunch of other center fire rounds out of a, a shotgun. So the beauty of that is I've checked, they're still in stock and, uh, you can then whatever ammo you have. I mean, I would much rather have a semi auto rifle or handgun than a single shot break action or double barrel shotgun, but I'd also re- rather be able to shoot something. And so gunadapters.com would be my little tip there. And that way you have a, a, an incredible amount of flexibility. And uh, 12-gauge shotgun, still well in stock. So you have something to uh, to, to start with with that, uh, that break-action gun. So there's my little tip for uh, extending your flexibility and adaptability in two-is-one-one-is-none mindset. Nice. All right, CJ, what do you got? Okay. Um, I'll go from big to small real quick. Um, None of us, even if we really understand the big picture problems at the level of the power elite, are going to fix them or solve them or divert them or change them. So it's important to understand what they're doing so you kind of understand what's going on, but focus more of your efforts and attention on you and yours and your immediate uh, people. Um, You really ought to be capable of being a suburban commando while at the same time looking like you're capable of being a suburban commando and doing your best to avoid situations in which you have to be a suburban commando. And then one very specific nuts and bolts suggestion, get a high quality gas operated blowback airsoft pistol that replicates the exact feel and operations of whatever your main defense pistol is. 
Because right now, when a lot of people are worried about going to the range and practicing with ammo being in short supply, one of the best things you can have is a high-quality airsoft pistol that, A, you can shoot inside your house, no problem. And, B, you can keep that muscle memory and all those skills sharp, Mm. even if you don't want to go to the – like today, even twenty-two long rifle is short supply. So even if you have a twenty-two adapter for your Glock or whatever, maybe you don't have a lot of twenty-two ammo. So airsoft is a great way to keep those skills sharp. That's a good tip. Let me add one thing real quick on the airsoft. I have this like a professional training AR-15 airsoft weapon with a 50-round magazine. If you have a wife that won't kill somebody, 50 rounds of that in the face at 10 feet, <laughs> will slow them down until you get there. I'll just say that. <laughs> All right. Hope you have a permit for that. No. <laughs> All right, P- Peter R. Quinones, emphasis on the R. I would say that you really have to get your mind get your mind right. And if you're listening to this and you somehow think that by going to the voting booth in November <laughs> and pulling or, I mean, maybe you still believe in phrases like civic duty. Just stop already. I stopped believing in the tooth fairy a long time ago. And that's all, that's all that is at this point. Neither, nothing is going to change with either one of them. There may be degrees, but either one of them is going to, this isn't going away. It's not going away anytime soon, at least. So just get your mind right and stop. Just stop with that. If, if you watched that debate last night, First of all, if you watch that debate for any other reason than to mystery science theater it, you're, you're out of your mind. Okay. Um, if you watch that debate and you're like, my guy won last night, you're part of the problem at this point. And you're going to be, you could be consumed by what's coming. You're so. also retarded. I can't even talk to my friends about this yet. You know, like I, I don't have a position, but even just saying Trump's not so bad goes crazy. Sorry, I, I haven't seen any of it, and I have no intention of going back to look after seeing how people talked about it. I was, it's entertaining. I was celebrating a very important birthday for an eight-year-old. I, I tuned in for about five minutes and said, oh, yeah, this is pretty much exactly what I expected, and then I watched something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was rough. What do you got, Hawk, the late so, bloomer? Yeah, so I would say that the percentage chance of you experiencing some of this violence firsthand is very, very low. I would also equate it to COVID. The, the chances of it affecting you is very, very, very low um, in any detrimental morbidity sort of sense. That being said, you know, you should take heart. Um, know that this is a period of transition and it's going to be tumultuous and there might be supply chain issues. Um, but they're uh, barring some like asteroid, like we, we will survive with some semblance of society. Um, so it's good to have preps. It's good to have situational awareness. Uh, and I'm not giving investment advice, but I do put a percentage of my investments into, I think I mentioned this on a lot, some other episode, barter goods, trade goods, alcohol, bullets, um, tobacco, you know, some of the things that will keep some coffee, right? Like Nicole's got. So barter goods is, is something good to have just in case of a SHTF scenario. Right on. Okay. Um, my tip, the first obvious one would be to squad the fuck up. 
and to have a network and a community. That is something that doesn't cost money. It just costs time and trust and getting, getting out there, putting yourself out there. And then a great tool, Freedom Cells, freedomcells.org. We have a member map. So chances are if you live in a densely populated area, there are people that put themselves on the member map. You can reach out to, you can connect. If there's not anyone, then you can be what I call the lone wolf, and you can kind of champion that in your area. But it's a great way to connect with people in your city or at least in your area, your region. And these are all people of like mind that are well aware that there's some major problems coming down the pike and they're looking for solutions. So, and if it's not freedom cells, whatever, your neighbor down the street, the guy that you talk about sports with, the guy you drink a beer with occasionally, whatever, just squad up. Encourage your family to squad up too. It's not some kooky conspiracy theory now to think about the prospect of civil unrest and chaos in our society. It's it's the real deal and it's obvious to anyone that's has even two brain cells. So encourage your family to squad up. You may not be seen as the crazy black sheep like you would have a few months ago, a few years ago, I mean. Um, and then the other thing, which isn't as obvious, if you are dependent on pharmaceuticals, First thing, try to get off. Kratom's an option, but go ahead and stock up on whatever pharmaceuticals you need now. Uh, you may run into problems with your doctor or your pharmacist, but let them know what you're generally concerned about. Because if you've been taking opioids for 10 years and then shit hits the fan, the supply chain is disrupted, or you got to bug out, you're not going to be want to be withdrawing from whatever it is. Or if you have anxiety issues or depression or whatever, and you're taking this or that, um, make sure that you're ready to go on that. That also has to deal with like have some colloidal silver, have some, some good natural remedies in case shit hits the fan. That's something a lot of people forget about soap and stuff too. So it's not just guns and gold and, and bug out plans and bug out bags. It's there's some real practical stuff, especially having to do with your health. So uh, cool, man, this was a great program. We sure did cover a lot. There's a lot of stuff on the horizon and we're definitely living through some really trying times. Speaking of communities and squatting the fuck up, I invite you to go to unloosethegoose.com, and there's a community connections tab there in the menu, and there you'll find our Telegram group and the Facebook group and also where you can follow us on MeWe. But the Telegram group and the Facebook group, there's hundreds and hundreds of people, and it's always popping off. So if you're oh, and if you think what we talked about today is important, that's a great place to find some community as well. So you can also subscribe to the podcast if you haven't yet at UnloosetheGoose.com. I think that's it for the gaggle. Thank you, everyone, for coming on today. This was a lot of fun. All right. Unloose the Goose. We'll take no views. Your paradise.